Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The other thing I used to do for fun, oh my God, I used to write romance stories for my friends. Oh, I love that. Really? Personalized romance stories. Oh my God. You know, I mean, up to pretty recently, I'll ask a friend, I'm like, okay, who's your, you know, big celebrity crush? And I'll write them a little, oh. you know, 20 page love story, oh my God, you know, so between cool. them. It's like the children's books that have their names in them when they meet, you know, exactly. But in this, but in mine, you're getting, you know, like Chris Evans is your hot, you know, <laughs> is the hot guy who comes. Which one? Bump into Which Chris Evans? Chris Evans. <laughs> Which Captain? Yeah, I could see Shona just like, what? <laughs> Hello and welcome to The World As It Should Be, a podcast in which we ask our guests to tell us what they would change to help create their perfect world. By listening to what they'd like to change, we'll hear more about who they are, what they do and what inspires them. This podcast is brought to you by the team behind Prima Donna, a uniquely anarchic and joyous festival of everything creative. My name is Shona Abianka and I'm a book publicist working with some of the most thought-provoking authors writing today. I'm Catherine Riley, a writer and director of the festival. We're delighted to be your guides on this podcast adventure. The world as it should be from Prima Donna. Bronwyn Sweeney worked in the media as a copywriter and brand creative, working on everything from hair care to home furnishings. When she was 29, Bronwyn's employer paid for her to do a two-day stand-up comedy course, and she was smitten. She has gone from having a comedy career as a bit on the side to divulging secrets from inside the advertising industry as part of her routine on the stand-up circuit. Earlier this year, Bronwyn made the grand final of the 2021 Funny Women Awards and finished as runner-up, impressing the judges with her high-energy performance and fake American from Blackpool routine, about which we'll hear more in a minute. Bronwyn, welcome to the Prima Donna podcast. Hello! Oh my goodness, it's so nice to have such a great intro and uh, have someone... (laughs) writing about me instead of me writing about other people, which is what I do during the day. Yeah, so you still you still got the day job? Yes, and, uh, you know, just a little fact, I'm, I'm actually a creative director, which is also going to be making it into my routine uh, because it's a very silly title that I don't think anyone really knows <laughs> what it means, but it sounds great. Yeah, Are you I not, like, when... directing people to be really creative? and Yeah, which means I'm just mean to all the beep, young juniors beep, now. Beep, this way, like that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Just wearing high vis, um, <laughs> high vis creativity. No, no, sorry. So, do you want to tell us about your fake American from Blackpool um, background? Absolutely. Um, well, yes. So, it, it is comedy, but it's funny because it's true. Um, I was born in Blackpool in 1986. Um, my dad was Irish, my mum's Zimbabwean, and they met in Zimbabwe and decided to move to Blackpool. And uh, I was born there. Why? Uh, <laughs> I think it's a, my dad's job was there at the time. He was an engineer. And uh, yes, yeah, so I grew up in Blackpool and then the north of England. And then my dad's job actually moved us to Greece after that. So um, I've grown up in a few different countries, but I've always been in American schools. So I identify as someone from, you know, the north, but uh, just don't sound like it. So like, I think I'm a northerner in spirit now more than anything, but I just happen to sound like this, you know, I like to say transatlantic now. That kind of sounds nice. Yeah. As a copywriter, I like to kind of gloss, you know, make it sound as, as nice as I can. Um, but I did go to high school in Florida, which was an experience. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot like the show Saved by the Bell. It was not. Um, what was it like? I mean, like, I think now I, 
it was a good time, right? Like, I think when I got there, it was a really tough adjustment. Like, I would say the cultural shock of moving to the U.S. in the 90s at that age was just, I don't know. I, I really thought I was going to go there, like, get an American boyfriend named Zach and, like, drive around in a car, even though I was 11. Like, this was the thought. <laughs> like, I was just going to spend all my time at the mall and it was going to be amazing. And then it just was so hard. I think mm. kids couldn't understand where I was from, you know, um, they'd never heard of Blackpool. They didn't know that Greece was a country. They thought I'd moved from the movie, um, <laughs> which was very confusing. <laughs> it was just so oh weird. And I think my parents made me, we always like laugh too, because my parents made me, you know, do all these American, you know, to, to make friends. They made me play sports and I was not an athletic child. They made me like join the basketball team. And I think, cause I was like half black, they thought I'd be good. And I was not. And like, it was just one of those things like classic fish out of water. And I would eat lunch in the art room. Like my best friend was my art teacher who was about 30 years older than me. And it was, I mean, we had so much fun. Um, but then I think as I got older and, you know, I, th- I just developed a bit of a personality. I made friends and ended up having a really good you know, classic American high school experience, right? Like driving around and going to prom. Um, mm. And then after that, I was like, I have to go. And I ended up fucking off to university in um, Italy and I moved to Rome at 17. Wow. How many languages can you speak? Only two. I can speak Italian and English. Um, Good ones to have. And I can, they're pretty, yeah. I mean like Italian is a useless language everywhere, but Italy and parts of like London that I've lived in. But like. I think swearing, swearing in Italian is really powerful. Mm, Sounds great. (laughs) Sounds great. You need to use your hands. Yeah. I was going to say. It's great. Um, but you, you have quite a large family, don't you, I think? And so yes. when you moved, did you find it um, a comfort that your siblings were also going through this? Or was there any difference in how they were experiencing it? I think it's really interesting. It's a, really, it's a great question. Um, anyone who knows me knows I'm obsessed with my family. I'm one of four kids where we range in age from 38 to 24. It's like they're my, they're my world. Um, we have the Sweeney Olympics every summer, every Christmas, which is just a bunch of adults playing games and embarrassing my mom. Um, but like they are there, that's where I feel at home. Like wherever they are, doesn't matter in the world where I am. If my, if my family is there, I feel like I fit in. Um, but I would say that as, as similar as our experiences probably were, we, you know, we went through this moving around and interpreted it different ways, you know, especially at the different ages that we were at. My poor sister moved to Florida at like the awkward age of I think 14, she would have been about 14, you know, just, oh, just in our very, like firmly in the ugly duckling phase, you know, um, uh, my younger brother was really, I think was young enough to, to love it, but then also had a hard time, but I'm sure, I mean, you could do a whole podcast about just what it's like to move around a lot. It's, it's so interesting. I, I learned the term third culture kid, which has helped, I think, process my identity a little bit more. It's like kids who are of dual heritage or different like international backgrounds, but are raised in different mm. countries. But, you know, identity is something I think about a lot and, you know, would like to weave into my comedy more because it's so funny to me, you know, to, to feel like you're from a place you haven't lived in to, to, to absorb all the cultures that you've experienced. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense to anybody else, you know? Right. So when I get on stage and I know I start speaking and I hear the way I sound, people are going, oh, yeah, like, here we go, another American, loud American, you know, and then you have to go, hang on, wait a second, you know, 
there's certain I have different cultural touch points to people or the same ones, you know. Mm. Before we move on to your three things to to uh, change the world, I just wanted to ask you. Part of what prima donna is about is is kind of. Um, you know, uh, demystifying is for want of a better word, like the publishing industry or, or in your case, the, the, the comedy industry, how, like, can you tell us about your journey to, to Ooh. being on stage at the final? You, you said that the, the funny women awards final was the, the best gig of your life. So can you, it really was. Yeah. And I was there. It was an amazing night. So can you tell, tell us how you got there? Sure. Um, as you said in the intro, yeah. Like I think like a lot of, um, creatives in the advertising industry you know we all have side hustles and things that you know they always say that copywriters are like failed writers and trust me i have screenplays and books on the desktop that i've been working on for a long time and um i i know that i've always loved to make people laugh again i think life is really funny or you know if you can't laugh at life sometimes you'll just cry right um and i noticed in meetings a lot of the times you know i have to present so much and it was getting to the point that I, I would get into meetings and if I could make people laugh, that felt like success to me almost more than the work going down well. I, and I thought that was interesting. And then, you know, when, when my agency offered to pay for everyone to pursue a passion project, everyone got a hundred quid to go do something. You know, some people did pottery, some people did baking. And I was like, well, now that I'm not paying for it, let's go do a comedy class and just see how this feels. And I went to some like two day course in South London I wasn't very good. I didn't know how to translate being funny in real life to actually writing jokes. They were the, the first little two minutes I did in my workshop was God awful. I'm so embarrassed that anyone saw that. Um, if anyone's listening, I apologize for the monopoly joke. Um, yeah, just like lazy comedy is how I would describe it. And I was like, Oh, I didn't get the bug. This isn't for me. Never mind. And I waited a whole year and I went to go see someone else who had done the same course as me just at like an open mic night. And I know it sounds bad, but she was pretty average. <laughs> no, like, I mean, like she'd say that she doesn't do comedy anymore. And she, and I thought, gosh, like she's up there doing it. I think I can do that. I think if I go away and write the comedy I want to see. And of course, at the time I was working on a really bad pitch, it was going badly. I was questioning my job, my life, everything. And I thought, let's go write about it. And I went to an open mic night, shout out to funny feckers um great open mic night and i just thought oh this is it i get it this is cathartic it's really fun and i and the first couple of years i was just doing you know any pub that would have me you know and this varied from drafty loft <laughs> lofts to like you know dingy basements with like six people um and just slowly started building my confidence and i think finding kind of what i wanted to talk about um, blagging my way a lot. A lot of it is just kind of faking it till you make it. Some people asked me if I had the experience to do a 20 minute set once. And I said, yes, and I definitely didn't. Um, but it, you know, it went okay. Um, a friend of mine is a drag queen. So I started doing opening, um, his nights for him, which was just amazing to be around that kind of creativity. I just absolutely love the drag scene in London. Um, and then the pandemic happened. Mm. You know, and I wasn't one of those people who was doing Zoom gigs because I had the worst internet in the world. Um, and it was just breaking my spirit. And I thought, well, just leave it for a little bit. And I'd found out about the Funny Women Awards. I'd followed it for a few years and never felt like it was the right time for me. And then I kind of thought, well, the world's going to shit. So let's do it. Um, and luckily, the heats were online. Um, I was, I felt very bad. I did the first heat from Portugal. Like, I was like, oh, no, poor me. Like... <laughs> 
I have to be funny in a villa. (laughs) (laughs) Poor you. (laughs) Poor me. Um, And it was one of those things where not to sound like, you know, a classic like woman with imposter syndrome, but because comedy has always just been something I do for fun, I really didn't expect to do well. I was like, I'm just so happy to, to be in this competition with all these amazing comedians you know, and then I made it to the next level and I was like, oh, okay, maybe you're better than you thought. Or maybe the judges just kind of like to hear someone make fun of advertising. Surely you're not going to make it to the next round. And then I did. And when I got the email that I was in the final, once again, I just thought, I feel so lucky. I feel so like humbled, really. Um, Hashtag humbled. And it was one of those things that didn't feel real until I got to the gig itself. To perform in a, on stage with that kind of audience who are just rooting for you to do, to do well is such a lovely experience. I can't, I, I just can't say how amazing it was enough, but yeah. 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 I, I think it's incredible that you did the, the stand up gig from the hundred quid that your boss gave you initially. And then you, <laughs> you thought, Oh, I'm no good. I'm just going to leave it. But something inside you was still burning and you went back and you yeah. carried on. And it, a lot of people give up at that stage because they think, Oh, I've tried it. And I realized I'm not good. So There was obviously something in there that you were just not going to let it go. I think also something I really want to advocate is like, it's okay to not feel, I don't know. Like, I feel like a lot of comedians I meet, they go, I I did it. I loved it. This is for me. And we think in life that unless we, you know, there has to be this moment of passion and, and, you know, absolute, you know, certainty about things. And it's not always like that. And Mm. you don't have to do something because you're great at it. You can do it because you want to, you can let the, you can let the, I don't know, like the love build slowly over time. Also, it doesn't have to be instant. It doesn't have to be. And I'm really glad that, yeah, like, like you said, Shona, like there was a voice in my head that said, you know, come on, just, just keep going Mm. because Mm. you've nothing to lose. Um, And I'm, yeah. There's a, there's that kind of notion in book publishing, definitely like, you know, if you are a writer, your talent will write, no matter what, you know, you'll definitely get a book deal because your talent will elevate you. And it's like, that is such bullshit. If you're a black writer mm-hmm. or a female writer or a queer writer, that, uh, there are so many obstacles to talent. And also, it's not just about talent. It's about doing the legwork, which is what you described doing, playing shitty gigs, yes. writing a thousand drafts, you know, that's the kind of... Yeah. And it's persistence yeah. and it's, it's having the strength to cope with rejection because yeah. also not, not every editor, not every publisher is right. Yeah. And that is a very difficult mental thing to get yeah, over. Yeah. And all of the ones that send back your manuscript are wrong. Oh, and they also have no taste. <laughs> so fuck them. No, it's so true. It's so hard not to take things personally, but I think at least in, in advertising, my job is to present ideas and have them get shot down. So I think I have right. developed a thick skin in that sense, but it's, you know, it's hard not to take it personally when on a Tuesday night when it's raining and cold and all you want to go do is watch like bake off in bed, you're on a mm-hmm. bus to fucking, I don't know, like you're are the tube for an hour to spend five minutes of your life to a group of people who couldn't give two shits about you. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like, thanks so much. You know? And then you sit on the tube, like hello, darkness, my old friend wondering why, <laughs> you're doing this. So it is, it's definitely right. persistence for sure. And especially in a world of social media, like I look online and, and it's so easy to see the success of other people and be like, Oh, they booked yeah. this gig. They're doing so well. And you know, I literally make made eye contact with a woman who, you know what I mean? Like really did not like my joke about waxing. And I feel, you know, <laughs> feel sad about my life. So I don't know. I still want to talk about waxing. I really yeah. like talking about that. 
<laughs> I just, I'm just imagining her getting on the tube and sitting opposite you, and that would be really awkward. I would have <laughs> loved it. I would have been like, so, huh? Don't like lasting stories. You think you're better than me? And then, like, when I get angry, I suddenly become like a like a jumped up little like New Yorker. I'm like, oh, really? Like, so yeah, all right, fine. So my comedy's not for you. Like, go fuck yourself. Italian American. I don't know why. Wow. I think in another life, I think in another life, I, I was. I get if I get angry, I just get all like, oh, all right, like fuck you then. <laughs> don't like my cannoli book. <laughs> um okay let's let's move on and start talking about your uh, three things to create the perfect world do you want to talk us um through your first change yes and i think again first of all thank you so much for asking this question and it's amazing how many things pop into your head but the first one is going to seem really small and i don't mean to be that like that single girl or woman, as I have to remind myself, like I'm a woman now. Um, and my first change would be that I think that men should wear engagement rings. Engaged men or just men? <laughs> um, <Right>. All men. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> I think, I basically think, I don't know why women have to be the ones to declare their marital status and not men. And it's really odd to me. One, I think it makes it feel like, again, like we have to adorn ourselves with these symbols I love jewelry too, um, but I think it's weird that we have to kind of say, I'm off the market, I'm not available, but men get to kind of roam through just ambiguously. It's like an ownership thing. It's yeah. so obviously sexist, yes. But even when it comes to being married, it's weirder for a woman not to wear a wedding ring than it is for Absolutely. a man. Absolutely. You know, um, I think- I it's- think they should be branded- personally with yes on your on forehead, forehead. <laughs> definitely I mean it's just it's something that started as a, a joke in my head because I remember once being at a party and talking to this guy for a really long time and it wasn't till I think hours later you know that the girl you know it wasn't just a girlfriend it was a fiance and in my mind I went oh my mm. gosh first of all what a waste of my time um secondly you know I I, I don't I, I it felt unfair to me that you know I, I don't know um, I don't know yeah. if it would make the world a better place. It would make my world a better place. Mm. I think it would, um, I think it would, it would actually be, but maybe it would be nice for men too. Why shouldn't yeah. they get to go? I'm really happy to declare my love for someone through the power of jewelry. Yeah. <laughs> but also it's like women taking the surname, isn't it? The whole thing is tied onto women being off the market. Completely. So, Bronwyn, are you saying it would improve your life because you would not have to waste time talking to men who who who, who have been ringed? Is that is that what you is that what you mean? I think I just I'm just someone who's so much I'm so just a hardcore feminist. I believe in just like equality, and I think yeah. one from a selfish level, I don't want to talk to people who are not going to at least let me know this is not mm-hmm. going the way you think it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say in that way. Mm-hmm. I also think it would be nice just to balance it out for women. Again, the pressure on men to find the right right ring for women for them. First of all, it's a complete racket, the, the price of engagement rings and all of that. I mean, don't get me started on the, like, the wedding industry. But, you know, I just think why can't it be something that says we're in this together? I propose mm-hmm. to you or you propose to me. Women propose to men. So then what happens? They put the ring on themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> they get down on one knee and put it on themselves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> go like, yeah. So why can't it be something? There's just so many things in life that they seem small. But, you know, what they signal again is that, yeah, I have ownership over you and yeah. we are not equal. 
Yeah. And everyone else needs to know that you're off the market, but I can be seen to be free if I want but to. But I can be seen to be free. So this becomes something that you have to then show to the world. But what 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 does it say about the, the man? Um, I just think it would be a really lovely thing for both people to experience. So that's answer. One of my questions is going to be, should no one wear rings? But you've said, actually, that, that takes the joy out of the whole thing for everybody. I think I get, I get why people like rings. I think, you know, um, I, like I said, I'm not someone who's a, a big, I, I'm not married. I don't really have any intention of getting married, but that's a, that's a personal preference. But, you know, I think if you're excited about it, then it should be an excitement and a moment that is shared together. I don't know why men can't have that too. We should use jewelry to show more than just our, our marital status. I should know that like, you know, are you, have you just gotten out of a long-term relationship? Are you looking for something? It should, you know, we have like a Ooh. green emerald or red emerald or, <laughs> or like a diamond encrusted <laughs> flashing light on your head. It just says, yeah, I have a lot of baggage, a little baggage. Um, <laughs> you know, I come, I have a dog. I don't know. I think that. That is a great that. idea. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, yeah, I'm desperate. <laughs> really, Yara. Help, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but with diamonds, <laughs> yeah. fuck's sake, marry me, <laughs> please, please. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. That's great. Um, uh, what's what, talk, talk us through your second your second idea, Bronwyn? Okay, so my second idea. I think it might be what I've listed as my third, but I want to talk about the second. Mm-hmm. Is um, I had this idea. So something, uh, um, a thing that's really close to my heart is loneliness. Um, I, uh, I don't know what it is ever since I was a child, the thought of someone feeling alone, like really makes me sad. And I don't know if it's because from moving around, I had so many moments in life where I had to, you know, sit in the cafeteria table on my own or, you know, um, travel by myself. And as I've gotten older, I've, you know, a cause that's really close to my heart is just the, the, you know, I think a lot of older people when their families move away, they're alone. And I think that so many people would benefit from a relationship or a companionship with an older person. And I think it goes both ways. And what I would love, a change I would love to see if people were buddied up with an older person. And I think that a young person would learn a lot. And I think an older person could learn a lot from them. And there would be this mutual exchange of companionship and time. And I think it would be a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, I haven't really thought the logistics of it out. Um, I think also because from moving around, I, I never lived close to my grandparents when they were alive. So I didn't have that relationship that I know some people are lucky enough to have. Um, and then I've only got one grandparent left anyway, and she's all the way in Zimbabwe. So I don't get to see her. But um, it also, this is such a crazy side story, but over during the pandemic, I did so much walking around and I went and I lived with my mom in Wiltshire in the countryside and ended up meeting this older gentleman named Paul. And he was just the nicest person and he invited me over for a cup of tea and I went and had a cup of tea and the stories that were shared that afternoon were so nice. Mm-hmm. And you know, he, he, he had a family that just didn't live with him and he spent all this time alone and he had, you know, joined some small groups, I think to kind of, you know, get out and about. But I just thought this was one, one person that I've met and I felt like my life had changed. I know it sounds cheesy, but it was such a wonderful experience. And I just thought how many people are sitting in their homes alone Mm -hmm. and they've got so much to say and I felt like it was a nice you know something lovely for me to experience too right just meeting someone whose life was so different from mine 
you know, um, you get perspective, you get to, to share stories. I think you, you know, the, it's the art of conversation, you know, with an older mm. person is, is different. Um, I loved it. Mm. And I wish I could offer a service where more people would get that chance. Mm. I think there's a real crossover, isn't there, of like, like people that are, I don't know, say arbitrarily under 25 and people that are over 70 maybe, who are not bogged down as uh, people in more middle age, like Shona and I, by work and mortgages and all, that, and all that. So, so are more open and curious and have time yeah. to think and reflect, you know, and, and the, and the interesting um, chemistry that can happen when a young person is curious with an old person. And, you know, yes. like Judy Dench and her grandson on TikTok. Oh my God. <laughs> the, jokes, the jokes are just brilliant. Um, but it's, it's also going to be beneficial for young people to slow down and listen and be off yes. their phones, not have and to And for be... old people to hurry up a bit. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, I'm wondering whether, I'm, I remember when you were talking about your early days in stand-up and, and then again with you being quite lonely when you moved, do you feel like it made you kinder? Because you've suffered rejection, you've been told, you know, you know you've had to kind of put yourself out there a lot. Yeah. And then moving to a new school at age 11 would be difficult to a different yeah. country is on another level. So I just wonder whether you're more empathic because of those experiences. Absolutely. I think, you know, growing up, having parents, and what was interesting, my parents are from two different continents, but shared very similar values. They, you know, my dad grew up in Ireland and was very, you know, very religious and my mom too. But then together, we never went to church. We were just kind of raised to go, if that's something you want to pursue, do it on your own, do your research, I'll take you to church, but you know, as far as we're concerned, these are the things we, you know, I was instilled in me to kind of be a good person, be a good listener, be kind, be generous as much as you can all the time. So since I was a kid, so certainly with moving around, I think I've become an empathetic person, but I think it's also just something I was taught a lot as a child. I think also in Zimbabwean culture, at least, you know, there's very much a respect your elders thing too. So culturally you know anyone even if you're a year older than me I had to show you respect because you were like you know so that was just something that was drilled into me from a young age um whether me and my sister always felt that way or <laughs> that was exercise I don't know but um I definitely think even you know in, in in my life I try to be kind as much as I can um and not because I want to get anything out of it I just think it's why wouldn't I be I have no reason to be mean to people um or rude. I cannot stand bad manners. It's also just a manners thing. I think be polite, be good, you know, until someone gives you a reason not to be. Um, and especially in my industry, I think it's changed a lot now, but I know the world of advertising is very competitive, very male dominated. And I feel like, you know, in the early days, there were so many people I worked with, with massive egos. And I felt like I had to, I had to compromise for them. You know, it was always, this person's difficult, but they're really good. So just deal with it. Or this person has a bad temper, but that's, mm -hmm. that's why they're so great. And I thought, why isn't anyone, you know, no one's ever said, Hey, like Bronwyn is a cheerful person. Let's all be like, I don't know. Like there was never kind of come down to come to my level. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which is, let's just enjoy the fact that we're not changing the world with our work here. We're not saving lives. We're making ads. And I used to get so frustrated that I felt like it was always about compromising for people with bad, bad attitude, bad energy, mm. shitty behavior. Um, and I think it's so much easier to be nice and kind. Um, I'm also a very chatty person. Um, I think like I just, I'll talk to anyone. I love talking. Um, and even the other day I was waiting for the bus 
I've just moved to North London. Um, so I think I have a bit of that kind of like glow about me. That's like, wow, like a new place here I am. And I was at the bus stop and this old man, um, he had missed the bus. We both, I mean, the fact that me and like a man in his seventies were at the same like exercise level is probably not great that like <laughs> we both try to run for the bus and like he had an excuse to miss it. And like, I didn't, I was just like, I mean, it would have been worse if he beat you and overtaken you and got on the bus. <laughs> I would not have been surprised. I've moved to like Crouch End. It's very hilly. And, but you know, I just, I could have just left it alone, but I looked at my phone as, to see when the next bus was coming. And I just said to him, Hey, like, Google tells me we've only got like a three minute wait. And he was like, ah, like you've consulted the Oracle. And we just had like a laugh. And I just thought, well, this is a nice person who feels like having a chat. Let's chat. And then we ended up talking all the way to the tube. And then he had to get to um, a hospital in the city center. And, and I was going to like a gig. So I helped him get to the right stop. That's and so cool. uh, we exchanged numbers. He's going to try to come to my next gig um, oh. with his wife. Um and all that happened, I think, just because we were both open to having a chat. Um, if I could somehow bring this energy to meeting like people, like men my age, that'd be great. But right now, I, you know, <laughs> maybe he'll introduce you to some people. You know, who knows? <laughs> He's got a hot grandson. I don't know, but it's it's very nice that I get along very well with like people in their seventies. <laughs> <laughs> it's a start. It's you know. a start. The universe was like, okay, well. <laughs> I really want to know trying. if he has a hot grandson because this will be an amazing story. I love this story. I know. I want to know what happens next. Yeah. I want to see what happens when he comes to your gig. Oh my God. His wife is going to be like, why have you dragged me to this <laughs> shitty pub to see this girl talk about Blackpool? Um, but yeah, I that's the problem. I think I was raised on rom-coms. I'm all like, everything is a meet cute in my mind. I'm just like, where is this going to lead? Yeah. Um, nowhere. I think it's a great way to be. It must help you in your work as well, like being able to uh, empathise and be interested in all all people, all all age range. I think there are organisations that you you can actually find that will buddy you up with an old person should you have time and space in your life to do that. But anyway, I fully endorse this idea, but it must help you in if you're thinking of like creative campaigns that are you know meant to engage as wide an audience you know rather than being the guy that's like jasper in his scoop neck vest who works for you know an, an ad agency and went to a private he's not going to re- he's not going to write the stuff that people are going to care about you know whereas y- your curiosity about everybody you know that's just a really lovely way of being open to the world mm-hmm. and it will, surely it would make your work better i think curiosity is such an important thing i mean I, again just I was taught that, you know, be curious. If you want to learn something, go. My dad was old school though. It was the, you know, back in the days of like, you know, before the internet, it was, if we were reading and I didn't know a word, get the dictionary out. Let's yeah. look at it together. Let's look at the definition. Okay. You don't know what that means. Let's go look at nothing. Oh, you don't know. Let's get the, we had encyclopedias. Mm. get the encyclopedias out. And then it was like, oh no, now we're down the like history of Ireland. Uh, and all I, all I asked for was help on these fractions. And I don't know, <laughs> but you know, um, I, it's funny. Cause I talk about this with like, I work at, like my job in advertising is to to speak to and entertain many people, right? Mm. And the thing that I think is important is, you know, I shouldn't have to have children to write ads for mothers, right? And and fathers or people or families or anyone who is who has kids. You know, my job is to to do the research and understand and try to make things that appeal to those people. Um, and it's funny how many times you know you'll be in our industry and you'll get certain people who go, well, I don't want to work on that. I don't want to work on a shampoo brand. Like I'm a bald dude. I don't have hair. And it's like, yeah, but that's your job is to adapt and, Mm -hmm. 
and learn. You know, that's why I love it. I like that I get to mm. write for all these things that I'm not an expert in, but I go off and I, I put my, you know, I, I've written for car brands and I'm mm. the worst driver in the world, um, you know. Uh, so it's about language and words surely it comes down to being persuasive whatever you're trying to sell as long as you know the basics of what you're selling absolutely I mean it's funny yeah like I always wanted to be a, a novelist and then I think I was just like oh god I'll, I'll be I need money also the other thing I used to do for fun oh my god I used to write romance stories for my friends <laughs> oh I love that really? <laughs> personalized romance stories oh my god you know I mean up to pretty recently I'll ask a friend I'm like okay who's your you know, big celebrity crush, and I'll write them a little, oh. you know, twenty-page love story. Oh my god, you know, that's so between cool. them, it's like the children's books that have their names in them when they meet. You know, exactly. But in this, but in mine, you're getting, you know, like Chris Evans is your hot, you know, <laughs> is the hot guy who comes. Which one? Vintage Chris Evans. Chris Evans. <laughs> Which Chris Evans? Yeah, I could see Shona just like what? <laughs> I keep forgetting that that Chris. I Evans love Chris Evans. Mean the same thing here. I love time. Virgin Radio and I love Chris Evans. So. <laughs> I do love the radio DJ too, and it's no shade on Chris Evans. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone out there is like, no, no, that Chris Evans. I want, I want a romance story. Well, you know, I have a feeling we things. need to get you to Prima Donna Festival to yeah, I said we to need to out some Lisa of these stories. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Who is our one of our Prima Donnas and publisher? She um, she runs Mills and Boone. Sounds like sounds like oh, you, yes. you could talk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, brilliant. Let's move. You you hinted um, at this in your anecdote about running for a bus. Um, okay, do you want to talk about your third and final um, change to create the world as it should be? Yes. Uh, so the last one I had was I think that people should be, along with medicine, I love medicine, um, I think people should be prescribed activities and exercise. And that is not in a preachy, judgmental way at all. Um, I love drugs and the power of medicine. It's more that um, I have a huge history with anxiety and, um, like we all, like, like many people. Um, and I have always found that one of the best things for that has been just getting to get out of my head is to use my body, use my hands. Right. And, um, and I, I don't know why I wish for a lot of my friends who suffer and struggle with it. And I don't mean that you have to have anything even serious as bad as like, you know, anxiety or depression to need to be prescribed activities. I just think forcing people to do things they wouldn't normally do is really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, just, I agree. That's it, really. I um, agree. Yeah, I think the anxiety issue is really interesting. I, I do think genuinely most of us have some level of anxiety, you know, for which sure. we don't always listen to and we don't always take notice of enough. But I did read something that you said um, about you have to remember that the voice in your head is not really you and some of us become addicted to anxiety um and we think we can't live without it which was yeah. really interesting to me because it felt like a one of those catch-22 situations like scrolling through your phone or you know all the other things we do that we know are not good for us but it's very yeah. difficult to climb out of that hole so what were some of the strategies that you used oh great question yeah and i'm, I'm sorry to listeners that i went like so like dark so quickly i know it was probably supposed to be like a light um suggestion but it's, it's another kind of cause that's close to my heart um, because, yeah, so when I was, I think I would have been around 13 or younger than that, around that age, I had one of those like catastrophic panic attacks. And this was before anyone knew what they were. Um, it was a, a moment where I think I thought I was convinced I was going to die. 
And I remember like stumbling into my parents' room, just like, I think I'm having a heart attack. And um, I got driven to the ER, um, which I remember laughing at because I got sent to like the kids' emergency room and I was lying on like a hippo bed trying to like tell these doctors I'm dying. And I was like, hey, can we put me on a more professional bed? Like, why am I on this, like, bed. Yeah, like this hippo bed as I think I'm having a heart, like complaining I'm, I'm having a heart attack like an old man. Um, was it triggered but, by something? Was so something I've done that? a lot of research into, well, this is why I know so much about anxiety now because you know, at the time, I mean, for, for, I think around two years, it went undiagnosed. I just, you know, the, the doctor said, she's fine. And I went home and I knew I wasn't fine. And for two years, it was horrible. I just um, didn't tell anyone. I just kind of like would have these horrible panic attacks. I used to sleep in my sister's room just to calm down. I was convinced I was going to die every night. Um, and sports and um, really helped me um, just doing physical activity and then I, and then getting professional help. I saw, you know, a child psychologist who said, Oh, you, you know, you've got all the classic symptoms. Um, and I had to get some, you know, antidepressants for a little while. But what I learned though, is because when you asked me how I learned how to cope or coping strategies, I think at the time I didn't want to become reliant on medicine because I, you know, we traveled a lot with my family and I always had this fear. What if I forget my medicine and then I'm on a plane? So I was like, I have to learn how to, get over this without needing medicine. So what always really helped me was doing things with my hands. So I would do collages. Anytime I could just use my hands to cut things, paste, anything crafty always got me out of my head, you know, gave me something to do, um, which turned into like a love of cooking. I love to cook just to follow, following a recipe. I'm not very good at cooking. I don't have like some magic mm -hmm. gift. I just like to look at recipes and make things. Um, talking to people, laughter, you know, obviously the, the opposite side to comedy is tragedy, but you know, um, I think making jokes really helps. And that book that I was referring to, uh, when I wrote about getting out of your head, it's called the untethered soul. Um, just doing a lot of research on thinking. I think, you know, anxiety is very much linked to our thoughts and it's because we think whatever we're thinking must be true. You then go, well then, okay. So, you know, you're uncomfortable. You think you're dying. You must be dying. That's the mm. connection your brain makes. And you have to learn to go. That's just a voice. That's a separate mm. thing. You aren't those thoughts. This is your body either trying to protect yourself or to scare yourself. And you have to learn how to detach from that. Was um, social media, did that play a part in all this at all for you? In, in helping or making it worse? Both. I think that this is the thing with social media. I think it's so helpful in many ways because you, you find people like you but it also contributes to the stress because I can actually feel my heart rate rise when I open my phone and I, you know, I'll see another friend is engaged and you'll go, Oh God, like, what am I doing? I'm oof, like, I'm not even, you know, should I be doing that? It's, it's amazing how quickly your, your mind and then your body are lit, you know, are linked and you go, Oh, that's another person who's had their second baby. And I'm literally like rewatching sex in the city for the third time. <laughs> Like, what am I doing? And it and it adds to that, but it also can be a great way to get out of it, right? Like, if, if I think yeah. that, that's that's the and, yeah, and, and actually, that's a classic example of us putting stuff on social media, which is only the bright, happy side. Yeah, you know, people that are engaged or have second babies or whatever, everyone has tough shit to go through. But yeah. we're not going to put that on social media. So when we look at it it sounds brilliant and they're moving on and doing stuff and everything's wonderful. But obviously social media is so deceptive in that way. And it's it not really true. is. 
It is. And, you know, I mean, I always laugh. It's like, I think I have certain friends who I haven't spoken to. And I think on my social media, it looks like I'm about to like start my own, like I, my comedy is going so well. I'm, I'm about to like do live at the Apollo. It's like no one saw the gig where there was no audience. And um, literally I was doing stand up next to the toilets and the hand dryer kept going off and like a delivery, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the delivery driver walked right through my set. And um, the, yeah, there was no one but like a crusty barmaid. Like, yeah, no one saw that. I wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna put that on. He mine. didn't Instagram that. <laughs> it's keeping it real. <laughs> I love that this is a delivery driver. Where was he delivering to? Who had ordered? <laughs> this is the thing. The pub had no had no kitchen, so you could just deliver food. So like, the, the door would open and this draft would come in every like two minutes, and this poor driver would just like wander around. <laughs> with a bag of food <laughs> brilliant oh it was great oh no if you ask comedians about bad gigs like oh the, the stories are amazing so that's yeah um you know and, and i think sometimes i like doing stand-up because this is gonna sound crazy but or, or you know bad but it's like i if i can if i can um I know doing stand-up is stressful and anxiety-inducing, so it's therefore like if I feel, I go, well, that's why you're anxious. So don't you don't have to worry. It's almost like if I can pinpoint the cause of the stress, then I don't worry about it. I know that sounds really weird, but that was something that helped me a lot. It's like I know, hey, like doing stand-up is going to make your heart race, so mm. it's okay. That's a very yeah. natural symptom of that. Um, you know, your job can be kind of stressful. You've got a big meeting tomorrow. It's very normal. I always talk myself kind of off the ledge. It's like, you know, these are normal reactions to have to your life. It's okay. That's how mm. I always like, it's like the little tree thought in my mind, mm. you know, is this is an uncomfortable sensation. Go take a walk. You know what I mean? But imagine if you get a whole group of people playing, you know, dodgeball together to <laughs> feel better. That's a good one. <laughs> what what do you do now? You mentioned crafting and cooking. Do you still do those things to kind of help help keep you on a level or are there new things that you do? Running up and down Crouch Crouch Hill, for example. So running around Crouch End, running for buses. No, I actually do go to the gym quite a bit. It's um definitely uh I, I loved I I do love working out. Like running sucks. I will never be good at it, but I like lifting weights and um just going to the gym. I really love it. I love it's it always gets me out of my head. Um, I walk a lot. I'll just um, throw on a podcast, some, yeah. probably this one. Um, <laughs> I love listening to people talk. I just like to go for long walks. I find places like supermarkets really relaxing. I don't really? know why. I love the supermarket. Like I just love to browse. I think it reminds Ooh. me of being a kid and being dragged yeah. to do like the big shop with my mom. Like I just like wandering the aisle. If I had to choose between like a museum or going to like the big the big Sainsbury's I'll go to the big Sainsbury's like it's I love it yeah. I go and I and I go to I'm like oh let's go to like the clothing section and look at the yeah the clothes and then I make my way into the house section and I buy I'm exactly the same I love it but I but I have to eat before I go otherwise it's yes, a disaster you must eat oh my god hundreds of pounds if like if you don't eat it's terrible Oh, I will leave with like the most exotic truffle oil and be like, when were you going to, I don't know when you thought you were going to use this, but like, yeah, like I just um, moved into this, my first apartment, like or flat, like living alone. And like, this is, you know, this is a big step for me. Cause obviously it's a lot of time on my own in my thoughts. So that's kind of part of my, you know, like I listen to the radio a lot. I'll put the radio on just to hear voices. You know, I love like, that's not like hear voices um, that aren't my own. <laughs> 
you know, I love going to the cinema is like my, fa- I will watch anything in the cinema. I love it. I love going to the cinema alone is my favorite thing in the world. Where do you think you get your best material from? Great question. Um, I think I can't say that German word Schadenfreude. Schaden- yeah, 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 yeah. Schadenfreude. I mean, I think Schadenfreude. I think I get my best material from. I just think life is funny. I think, I, like you know, I think working in advertising, being the kind of person I am, I've, I've always been very observant. I'm always looking around, and I just carry a journal or I'll put notes in my phone. I just, my comedy tends to be just based on personal anecdotes. You know what I mean? So like I said, I think working in advertising is funny because I can't help but look at this industry that I work in with a slightly cynical, but grateful, you know, perspective of, I love that I get paid to do this. And then sometimes it's like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. Like, I can't believe I'm sitting in a meeting with all these people discussing a hashtag strategy. Like, how did my life come to this? Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't believe we're agonizing over the headline for like an ice cream for a poster that's going to go out in Mexico. Like, why am I in London? Why am I deciding, you know, I worked on a hair care brand where we were shooting ads in Brazil and I thought, I'm so lucky I get to work on a shampoo ad for Brazil. But then also, why am I working on it? Who, who, who are you to tell women in Brazil how to wash their hair, you know, it's, it's, it's either crazy or it has to be funny. Hmm. Um, you know, like I said, I think I put myself in a lot of situations. I don't think intentionally, but maybe a little bit, you know, I went to, um, I had a month off work recently. Um, cause I've been at my agency for so long that I got a month off, which is amazing. And I went to Berlin because I love the city of Berlin. And I thought I'm going to go, I'm going to write all this great new material. I'm going to get to Berlin and it's like the creative juices are going to flow and I'm going to sit in coffee shops all day and look cool. (laughs) And I got there and I went, Oh my God, you don't know anyone. And it's very cold. Like (laughs) what, what are you doing? Like, who did you think you would become in Berlin? That would be different to Bronwyn in in London. And I suddenly, I like wandered the streets just like, Mm. and I thought, this is funny. Like you actually thought your personality would change, like, <laughs> but you're a grumpy, miserable person. And now you're just grumpy and miserable in a foreign city where you don't know anyone. So I went, I went and did a speed dating night just to like meet people. And it was, as you would think, uh, not great. Um, I don't use dating apps in London, but I fired one up in Berlin and I thought, and now you're wandering the streets of Berlin with a very unfunny man. So you came to the not comedy capital of Europe to write comedy. Um, yeah. I think I lasted about eight days and was like, okay, you need to leave now. Was he ringed? Go. He wasn't ringed. <laughs> he wasn't, but he, um, not on his finger. Not that I saw. Obviously that's where I was going with this. <laughs> Thank you but for I, using ringed. But I wish he had, I wish he had, I wish he had jewelry that would declare that he was not very interesting <laughs> and not funny right not, not funny and not funny not, ring not funny go away leave me alone i can't carry <laughs> i can't carry it for both of us no i'm kidding brilliant thank you so much before you go can you tell us what's next what have you got coming up um can anybody see you in action anytime soon Yes. So I'm trying to get as many gigs in uh, before the end of the year. You can follow me on Instagram at Bronwyn Cleona, uh, Twitter at Brontown, where the only person who likes my tweets is my little brother. So that's cool. That's cute. Um, 
just the one person in the stands rooting for me. <laughs> We're going to be liking all your tweets now. Aren't you? yeah. yeah, you've doubled your numbers. <laughs> Tripled. Cool. I've got six, six followers now. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, just I tend to post my things on Instagram. So really just um, just really got a gig as much as, as, much as I can and uh, get, get, get my message out. Well, Prima Donna Festival, definitely, end of July. Yeah, yeah, you've definitely you've got a gig booked in if you want it in, in July in Suffolk. I'll take it. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much, Bronwyn. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. The world as it should be from Prima Donna. as it should be from Prima Donna.